In my experience, meditation has been one of the most important tools on the singleness journey. However, that sentence brings up a whole lot of questions and concerns from people. What does the Bible say about meditation? How do you do it? We're going to get into all of that today. And so hello and welcome back to the Single Today podcast. My name is Ryan Weckman. I've been a single pastor my whole life. I love talking about this topic. I wrote a book called Single Today that is available for pre-order right now because I believe that being single is an amazing gift, but it can also be a struggle. It can be difficult. It can be lonely. It can be scary. It can be annoying. Whatever word you would currently use to describe how you feel about singleness, I'm glad you're here. But I got to the end of my book and realized there is so much more that I want to share so much to this topic that I couldn't fit into the book. And so this podcast is dedicated to all the other stuff. Now, here's the line that's been on my heart for this thing. This podcast, Single Today, is not just a podcast, it's a resource. We don't want to just talk hypothetically about living well as single people. We want to put in the work to actually do it. And one of the most effective tools for doing that is meditation. And so you may have noticed that alongside every episode that comes out is a guided meditation. And each guided meditation will be called I Feel Blank. So the first one was I Feel Lonely, and then I Feel Anxious. And in future weeks, it'll be I Feel Grateful or I Feel Ignored, etc. What I'm doing is I'm building up an armory for us so that no matter how you are feeling on any given day, whether it's the top of the mountain or way down in the valley, you have a guided meditation to turn to and practice. Because again, in my experience, meditation has been one of the most important tools on the singleness journey. However, that sentence brings up a whole long list of questions and concerns from people. And so the question I want to answer in this episode is, what do I mean by meditation? What is it? What does the Bible say about it? Why is there so much controversy around it? And so let's get into it. What does the Bible actually say about meditation? Well, whenever you study scripture, the beginning is always the best place to start. And what you get in the beginning in the first few pages of the Bible are is that God creates everything and he calls it good. But then in Genesis 3, the enemy comes along, the serpent, Satan. He comes in and he tries to twist God's good creation by making counterfeit versions. So J.R.R. Tolkien has a great line in The Return of the King. The shadow that bred them can only mock it cannot make. In other words, the enemy can't create new things. All he can do is try to twist the things God has already made. So for example, God creates sex and tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply in the context of marriage to enjoy it, enjoy one another. But what happened? The enemy took that design and introduced all sorts of lies. And the world today is full of pain and hurt caused by those lies from pornography to affairs to abuse when the beautiful gift of sex gets twisted and distorted it trades in its beauty for bitterness breakups and baggage 
Or how about this one? God created food. It's a beautiful gift from God for us to enjoy, but the enemy comes in and tries to twist it up in all sorts of ways. And so now our pantries are flooded with food that really isn't food. Now, I have a sweet tooth, okay? So this one is tough for me. I'm not throwing any stones, I I, I promise. But we have to acknowledge that the very first original sin was God telling us not to eat something and then the enemy saying, no, it's okay, you should eat it. And the point is, the enemy tries to twist the good things that God gives us. Meditation is a perfect example. As I'm going to show you in just a second, meditation was God's idea. We just get this from the Bible. And yet about once a month, I have someone reach out to me who feels like it's dangerous or it's something they should avoid or they're worried about or whatever. And so what's happening? Well, just like sex or food or any other great gift that God gives us, the enemy tries to twist this one as well to create counterfeit versions of it where here it is, people put self at the center instead of putting God at the center. But here's the thing, just because the enemy twists a good gift like food, it doesn't mean we stop eating. It means we learn to eat the way God intended. And it doesn't mean we stop meditating. It means we relearn to do it the way God designed it. And so I want to go back to scripture, look at three passages today that are going to give us three thoughts. First, when it comes to meditation, what is it? Then, what is it not? And finally, how do we do it? What it is, what it is not, and how we do it. Let's start with what it is, and let's go to Psalm, the very first Psalm, Psalm 1. I'll read verses 1 through 3. This is how the Psalms begin. Scholars call it the, the doorway into the rest of the Psalms. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And get this, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So remember, this is the Bible's idea. And when the Bible talks about meditation, it it means to ponder, to attend to carefully, to chew on, to let one's mind dwell on. I think of it like like tea. If God's truth is a, a bag of tea and our soul is like a hot mug of water, the next step is to let the tea steep. Like imagine you come over to my house and I say, hey, you want some, you want some tea? And I, I give you some hot water and then I just like drop a tea bag in for a second and then I pull it back out and I toss it away. You'd be like, hey, Ryan, um, that's not how you make tea. <laughs> Everyone knows that you have to let tea steep. The same is true with God's truth. Like Romans 8.1, 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, cool. Got it. Yep. See ya. Like if that's all we do with Romans 8.1, it's fine, but it's also going to be powerless in the face of real shame and lies from the enemies, from the enemy. If you want the power of God's word to speak truth to the lies of shame, you have to allow Romans 8.1 to sink from your head to your heart. You have to allow the truth to steep to sit there for a second. You have to ponder it deeply. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Psalm 1 is telling us to do, to keep these words on our lips, to meditate on them day and night, to not just rush off, but to allow the truth to sink in. I can't tell you how many times I've spent a weekend preaching about what Jesus did for us on the cross and then spent the rest of the week feeling shame for something I said. It's like, I know it's true for you. I just have a hard time believing it's true for me. It's like, yeah, you have to let these verses steep. That's what meditation is. Because here's the thing about knowing. There are levels to it. Like you can know something intellectually, but that's different than believing it in your heart. It's different than experiencing something. Years ago, I was in seminary and one of the classes was all about the book of Galatians and how Paul on repeat tells us the law isn't what saves us. It's the resurrection of Christ that matters. It's not about rules, but relationships. And then we would break up into groups and talk. And there was a guy in my group that never said too much. But about week 10, he just goes out of nowhere. We all know it's about it's not about rules. It's about relationship. Like I'm ready to learn something new. And it made the group really uncomfortable, but it made me laugh really hard. I loved the honesty. He was saying like, we get it. We got it. And he was right. Like we did know it at an intellectual level. But the truth is, there are levels to understanding that truth. I know that because 10 years ago, I understood it intellectually. And yet today, I'd say I know that truth in a whole new way. Because I've spent years not just knowing stuff at an intellectual level, but allowing myself to experience these truths at a deep heart level. And by the way, I hope 10 years from now, I'm saying the same thing about today that I got it. But 10 years from now, I hope I'm able to say, but I get it in a whole new way. So what is meditation? Why does Psalm 1 invite us to meditate on God's word day and night? Meditation is allowing the deep truths of God to sink down another level in our heart, to not just know it up here, but to understand it and experiencing it, experience it. It's moving beyond being able to preach Christ Jesus to actually allowing ourselves to experience it, talk about it like we, we, we don't just understand it, but we know it in the deepest part of who we are. Meditation allows God's truth to sink from the head to the heart. By the way, that process can't be rushed. That's why in every meditation I post, it will be rooted and grounded in scripture, in God's truth. 
And that takes us to our next thought. We talked about what meditation is. Let's talk about what meditation is not. For that, let's go over to Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. Joshua 1, 8 and 9. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. And then get this. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Okay, so this is a great story where um, if you know your Bible, Joshua has just taken over. Moses just passed away, and Joshua is his his protege, his disciple. And so it's time for Joshua to lead the people uh, into the promised land after 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness. And young Joshua is terrified. So God tells him, look, here's all you got to remember. I'm going with you, so you don't have to be afraid. But I know that can be difficult to remember. So keep this book always on your lips. God says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. This is really important. Tune in right now. What's the focus of this passage and Psalm 1? Like, what's the pattern that you see? The focus and the meditation is all on God. (laughs) These passages are an invitation to take our eyes off of ourselves and fix our attention on scripture. Hey, Joshua, I know you're scared. How about this? Stop putting yourself at the center of the story and put God at the center of the story. Meditate on scripture, on God's promises. Now, in much of popular meditation today, the invitation is the exact opposite. The invitation is to put self at the center. But the problem is, you're the problem. You're the reason you're in this predicament to begin with. If you're the problem, you can't be the solution. Einstein says you can't fix a problem with the same consciousness that created it. You got yourself into this mess. Focusing more on you isn't going to get you out of this mess. Instead, you need to put God back at the center to ground yourself in scripture by putting God back where God belongs. And so here's what biblical meditation is not. It's not an invitation to be self-centered, to be self-focused. Instead of using meditation to form opinions about you, use meditation to let God tell you truths about you. I'm going to say that again. Instead of using meditation to form opinions about you, use it to let God tell you truths about you. Slow down and let the one who created you speak to you. That takes us to our third and final thought. Well, how how do we actually do it? For that, let's head over to the the New Testament, to to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, 
verses 6 through 9. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything. That's a big statement right off the bat. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, then here it is. Think about such things. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Your mind is moving a million miles an hour and it has a bent toward the negative. It's just what we do. And so what is meditation and how do we do it? Meditation is the act of taking all those anxious thoughts and acknowledging them, not ignoring them, feeling them instead of numbing them, running through them instead of away from them, and then fixing our attention on whatever is true, God, whatever is noble, God, whatever is right, God, whatever is pure, God, which raises another interesting question. Do you know how you feel? Like right now? Seriously, think about it. Pause this for a moment if you need to. Do you know how you feel? And if so, do you know why you're feeling that way? I think one of the reasons we get hesitant to do these types of exercises is because we don't really know how we're feeling. Like we don't really know what's going on beneath the surface. Yeah, maybe we know something is wrong. We just don't know what that something is. So these guided meditations are going to teach you how to get really good at seeing and naming how you are feeling. See, that's the whole point. To put God back at the center, to stop putting so much pressure on you, acknowledge that he is God and you are not, and then from that place, from that place of security, to start being really honest about how you're feeling. Anxious, afraid, alone, numb, grateful, expectant, whatever it is, we practice naming those feelings and then remembering that we aren't the hero of the story. God is. He's the one who has this whole thing in his hands. And that's really good news. So in light of that good news, meditation is then fixing our attention, again, on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, a.k.a. God. And then to do it again and again and again. So I challenge you to actually try these weekly meditations. They don't take long. But you can stay in them as long as you want. So maybe seven minutes turns into 17 minutes. 
And then before you know it, a few weeks later, you're up to a, a half hour taking time to put God back at the center to remind the rest of you that God loves you and is in control will always be time well spent. So I hope that helps. There's so much more to this topic, but let's just leave it there as an introduction to biblical meditation. Whether you are single, dating, engaged, or married, these are phenomenal exercises to start doing. But like any exercise, it's not enough to just talk about it. You actually got to try it. So before you run off to the rest of your day, take a few minutes and try one of these guided meditations that go along with this podcast. Then we'll see you back here next week for episode four.